Okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Dirt Talk Podcast. I am one of 50% of the hosts here, Aaron Witt. Yeah, I feel like there's it's a host-co-host situation. It's not two co-host situations. Okay. So I'm I would love host. to be the host, but you're the host-host. I am the captain on this show. Yeah. Joined by Alex, my... Co-captain? Semi-captain, there co-captain, junior captain, first mate. Also the person in the lighthouse. <laughs> yes. Any, any engine, other engine room. Any other role besides the one you're doing, me and or Harrison are doing them. Great. Uh, today we have a question and questionable answer episode where you ask your questions and I give answers that are likely incorrect, but I'll do my best to make them sound correct to confuse people even more. And to be fair, they're from the heart. You know, you're, you're, you're certainly speaking to what you believe is correct. I'm doing my best. And a lot of people accuse me for not knowing what I'm talking about. Yes. A lot of people accuse me of being an idiot. Yes. <laughs> they're right. Has, has anyone uh, ever called you an idiot to your face in regards to the work of BuildWit? No, everybody's not. People are nice to your face in general. It's like the 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 distance of the internet in between people. Oh, now I can be an asshole. Sure. But it's like even in your car, when you're in your safety of your car, someone cuts you off. Wow, they're they're the biggest piece of shit that I have ever, ever interacted with in my life. That guy right there. But say you're in an elevator and someone bumps into you. You're like, you shit bag. But what and you're you gonna say, say is, Oh, sorry. Yeah, oh, oh no, I'm so I'm so sorry. <laughs> So, I'm so sorry. And they, oh, so yeah, sorry. no, yeah, yeah. it was act, totally accident, man. Yeah, that's about right. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say I've heard some questionable things over the phone before, but never uh, in person. I need, I need, I need more people to be rude to me. But have you seen me at Con Expo? Bring him down a peg. I don't know if this goes out before Con Expo, after Con Expo. Mm. But if it goes out before, say rude things to me at the show. Just be really rude. Just throw tomatoes at me. <laughs> where, did, where did all this produce come from? I told him on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. That's the power of social media, baby. <laughs> We're using oh, our man. media empire for good. Yeah, it's a really good time over here. Just uh, talking about what salad ingredients can you sneak into Con Expo? And if you don't, if this goes out after Con Expo, just leave me comments on the internet. Those are always appreciated. And very, very helpful. Now, what would actually be really interesting... Could we like call attention to like a specific post where the inside joke of the podcast is everybody go leave awful comments? Yeah. On Eric's post. On Eric. (laughs) 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 That would be really funny and really mean. He's like, man, what did I say in this particular post? So mean. (laughs) He's crying. That's really funny. Okay. Anyway, this is a this is a podcast about questions and questionable answers. And we were taking your questions. Uh, we had a lot that were uh, pretty interesting that we didn't even get to last month. So we are getting to more of them this month. Great. And if you have questions, send them to dirttalkandbill.com. Always, always get good ones. Always appreciate the questions. It goes right to Alex. It goes right to me. I don't see any of them. It's technically an email group, but it just goes to me. So Yeah, it just goes to you. It's all the same. Because I don't care about your questions. I'm just here for the money. Yeah. <laughs> 
And it's here for the, the money. The big bucks we make on this podcast. Yeah. Boss pays us a lot. All of the zero bucks mm-hmm. that we make. Uh, all right. First question. What books are on your to read list right now? I just read uh, The Laws of Human Nature, which was good uh, by somebody green. Why am I blanking on this name? It's a, it's a, he's a big author. We can look it up and make it sound like you yeah, do it. Let's, let's look at, let's look this up. Um, is that the one you were saying was pretty dense? Mm-hmm. Robert Green. Robert Green. Yeah. Yeah. So what book did you just read? Okay. I just read The Laws of Human Nature by Robert Green. And I've read War by Robert Green. And I have The Laws of Power sitting on my counter by Robert Green. Hmm. Amazing book. It's very dense. So it's not something you just pick up and breeze through on a Saturday morning, but remarkable. I read that. I read the new David Goggins book, which was awesome. I think it was better than his first. If you haven't read his first, read his first. Whoa. Mm -hmm. But the second one, man, it's amazing. I think it's simpler and his way of communicating and saying the things that are in your head, but you just don't read anywhere or see anywhere Mm -hmm. it's really really something so i read that book like i'm missing one more but i just read last week the end of the world is just the beginning by peter zion and that shook me big time Nonfiction. not yet everything everything that's what i thought yeah i don't have time for fiction no fun for space travel and zombies and love stories okay yeah aaron aaron only reads uh romance novels but it's only on flights it's really specific yeah, you don't yeah. fly very often so it's not like a yeah big yeah perfume. yeah yeah low key <laughs> my wife's not with me yeah. i fly but i the this this book yeah the end of the world just beginning i've heard him on joe rogan podcast my i need to buy this guy's book it hmm. uh yeah it, it it's pretty it's, it's just all about how we've been living in this amazing world that is powered by globalism. And based on the math or all of these different scenarios, globalism could go out the window at any one time and is likely to go out the window, is, is, is going to go out the window at some point. And here's what will happen when it does go out the window. And even if it doesn't go out the window by nuclear war the United States military making big changes, whatever it is, it'll go out the window because of demographics, because every society is aging. And we're to the point now where we can't replenish the workforce that we need to keep these societies going. So for the first time, I think by 2035, there will be more old people than young people in the United States for the first time in US history, Mm. which is bad because they stop producing and they take all their money with them. And then there's not an equal number of people in the other bands to make up for that. And then you have lost tax revenue as well from that because they're not working and they're just taking from the system now via mm-hmm. social security, whatever it is. So it's going to cause some problems, but also create massive opportunity. And if you are somebody who is building stuff or wants to build stuff, boy, is the opportunity massive in front of us. So. It's terrifying, but very exciting for anybody in infrastructure because that is where the world will be won and lost. Yeah. 
And then my next book is going to be, I read a book on, on the labor rate participation, decline in labor rate participation. I forget what it is called, but it's all about how we talk about the unemployment rate as the, the method to indicate how healthy the economy is, but it's not, it's not true mm-hmm. because you have, it's not overall labor participation. Labor participation is how, what percent of people that are, that could be in the workforce are in the workforce. When you talk unemployment, it's only people that are actively looking for jobs or actively working. It doesn't count the people out of the workforce. Who are not trying. Yeah. And there's been this disturbing trend over the past few decades of working age males leaving the workforce more and more and more every year. So the, the workforce participation is lower today than it has been in decades. And that means nearly 10 million working age males completely out of the workforce right now. That could be in the workforce. And the question is why and how do we get those people back into the workforce? Because kind of need to, kind of need to. If our big problem is going to be retirements and workforce, hey, we better figure this out. So that was interesting. And then um, next book's on T. Boone Pickens. How do you- reading this year. T. Boone Pickens, smart guy. Oh, yeah. Um, Stoked. How do you track the books you want to read? Uh, I track books I want to read by buying them. You're like, oh, I really want to buy that. You go buy it. And then if I think about it, it's sitting there somewhere you eventually get to. Exactly. I I just buy it immediately. So every time I find a book, that'd be interesting. I just buy it. And then I put it within the library. And whenever I need another book, I just go over to my library. What what haven't I read? What do I like? Oh, that looks interesting. And I read that one. That's my system. In your like own personal book storage, are you keeping books you've read away from books you haven't read? Nope. There's no organization to it. Yep. Like the, the one... I'm reading, about to read Boone, it's yeah. called. Yeah. Great book. Yeah, you read it before. Yeah, I read it in college, I think. So it's mm. been a while, maybe eight years since I read it last, and I just want to read it again. Why? I don't know. I just saw it on my shelf. I'm like, like I enjoyed ah, that last time. I've matured. Yeah. I'm sure I'll read it differently. Yeah, I would love to give that one another read. Mm-hmm. So. Nice. That's my system. Cool. A very well-designed. You don't have to have a system, but like it, well, I feel like any, it's a system as long as it's a thing you like. You don't have a system. Do. Just read, damn it. Just read. <laughs> just read. Anybody that doesn't read, they're just leaving so much on the table. You can go learn about somebody's life in 500 pages. Why would you not be part of that? Like, why? Why? As far as human development's concerned, books have been pretty central to that for thousands of years yeah, for a it's reason. It's not a new thing. It's not a new thing. And the, the I just don't. I wouldn't even know what my life would look like. If I hadn't read consistently over the past decade, I, I'd be, I, I don't, I don't think this whole, like none of this would exist if I hadn't been reading. It's probably fair. It, it is hugely, hugely impactful. Mm-hmm. So just read something. And I read 10 pages a day, minimum. That's my only rule. It's a simple rule. I can rule. go beyond that, just 10 pages a day. That's Get out of the way. Anybody can do that. You can't read 10 pages a day, throw something at you. Check into why you say you can't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right on. Well, thank you. All right. Uh, next question. You put your hand out ready to go. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. Okay. Uh, next question. Where'd you get that button down construction shirt? I feel like you have a handful. Uh, I have a handful of ridiculous shirts, but button down construction shirt, it's Roback. Mm. And I put it on my story when I got it. I, someone sent it to me. 
I looked at it. Uh, for sure, buying that one because I had a rowback shirt, most comfortable. Yeah, you like shirt. Yeah. Yeah, they're amazing. I have one with dinosaurs all over it. So I get that one, and I put it on my stories. Sold out, all all <laughs> sizes. So a cleaned out rowback. Yeah, cleaned them out. And since then, people have asked, "Where do you get that shirt?" And I say, "I'm sorry, I, there I are no this more." For all of us. Yeah, I ruined it. But <laughs> the store is getting fired back up. The Pillwood store. I've said that for years now. Mm-hmm. It, it is, actually is. Yes. You can go buy stuff there right that, now. That is a future line item of we're going to have a construction specific shirt. It's going to be executed way better because that shirt, if you look at it very carefully, the equipment's not all that, not all that uh, accurate. And it has cranes on it. Who wants cranes on their shirt? I don't want cranes on my shirt. I want diggers on my shirt. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to put earth moving machines only. That's what you call it, earth moving machines only. That could be like the style line. I like that. Cool. You also have a a really great, uh, Jessica got you for Christmas, like a couple of those, like, just like work shirts. Yeah. That are pretty good. Yeah. Um, I like that. Yeah, my build it excavating and grading shirt (laughs) with the upside down Uh patch on it. It's nice. When I wear that in public. No one gets They're it. Like, what? They look what at me it? like that. What? I I think he's dumb. Like I <laughs> I think he's an idiot, and uh, they just don't get it. It's good branding, man. Mm-hmm. You want people to think you're an idiot. I think that's that way. You can always over deliver. It's part of my brand. Yeah, it's part of my brand. <laughs> uh, thanks for the question. Next one. Best tips slash practices slash cool shit you've seen for working in really cold conditions. And I ask you this as a person who grew up in the desert. I am extremely inexperienced doing anything in extremely cold conditions, let alone working in extremely <laughs> cold conditions. Just being there is really so, new. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm the worst person to ask about this. But we did go recently to Alberta to the oil sands in January. And I was a little afraid to go up there. I'm not super afraid of most trips that we go on nowadays because we've seen know, a lot. We've seen a lot. We've gone up against most of the conditions, but I'd never been in, you know, minus weather before. Maybe once or twice in my life, I'd been in Colorado where it was in the morning minus two. And it's like, oh, it's so cold. And you go inside. You don't have to think about it. Yeah, you have to it's do not, it. It's not really an inconvenience. <laughs> so, yeah, growing up in Arizona, never been around cold like that. I was afraid. I did a lot of research. I asked a lot of people that work up there. And what I got back was make sure you have good boots. And the nice thing was I didn't have to buy new boots. I wore my typical area leather boots when we were in Denver on the ski slopes when we were shooting snowcats. And Eric had his normal boots on. Chase had his normal boots on. We were all miserable. Uh, yeah, you're like, oh. Our, our feet were wet and cold. Jeans and this time. is not good for yeah. <laughs> And jeans. It was it was bad strategy. So I, I was like, I'm going to have to buy new boots. And then I remembered I had mountaineering boots from hmm. college when I was doing some of that. Yeah. They were uh, Sportivas, mountaineering boots, and they look like work boots. So I thought, oh, nice. Fantastic. Yeah. I'll just wear these because they were insulated. Those worked like a charm. Oh, nice. So beyond that, I don't know what the right boots are, but you got to get winter boots. Well, I thought it was funny when you and Chase were like talking about, you know, gearing up for going up to Canada in in that weather. (laughs) And like the revelation was, let's get pants other than jeans. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. It's like, yeah, we clearly, that's not something we go very often well, thanks as an to organization. Our, thanks to our rigorous winter testing on the slopes you of learned. <laughs> buttermilk in Aspen, Colorado. Yep. Yeah, we, we learned our lesson. So next was insulated bibs. That was, those were so warm. I was so warm the entire time. Love it. So I had, I had long underwear. We had Under Armour mm-hmm. un- base layer. And Smart. I, I was thinking I was going to have to wear base layer jeans and the bibs. But I, I, I did that the first day. I had to go change the media. I'm like, this is, this is way too warm. The bibs are going to go, man. Move, like- well, it was, you know, it was fine because okay. the they're, they're made to wear over clothes. Mm-hmm. They're, they're big. But it, it, it was so warm. I was, I was chilling the whole time. So I just had a base layer, a jacket, like a lighter jacket. And then the bibs on. And then I had the option to put my down jacket on over that, but I didn't have to until I don't even think I did at all because mm-hmm. the bibs were that warm with that base layer. And are, is, is it like dangerous to have your camera out in that? You just kind of have to be careful no, when you set it? No, the camera's fine. Okay, nice. Yeah. And then good gloves. And I did a lot of research on gloves because the problem is you can't, in that cold weather, you need serious gloves, but you can't work a camera with serious gloves on. So that was a little tricky. And then I got a, a hard hat liner, which was clutch that covered, nice. that covered my ears. Smart. You know, so it's a little things, man. Yeah. But, but if we can shoot in, I mean, it was like last day and it didn't get that cold. If it had got Alberta cold, there would have been, we would have been toast. You we can't do anything. Dude, and, yeah. there would have, it would have been a bad, miserable trip, but it was pretty warm the whole time. Like still below freezing, but not that much below freezing. The last day was like minus five degrees Fahrenheit, which I think is like minus 20, 25 Celsius. So it was properly cold and we were pretty miserable, but we were, we still got everything we needed to do. Yeah. But I was watching the videos and you could tell my brain was not functioning as it should have. (laughs) I think it was partially because we were on the last day of a long trip. And also it was just so cold. My brain was like, I'm going to. Let's not worry about thinking right now because I'm just worrying about making sure the body's good to go. So it was diverting energy elsewhere. You could tell you you'd breathe in and you'd cough because it was just so just cold, so, cold. <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> miserable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't that bad. But I know you Canadians are like, oh, it's they're cool. But to a kid in Arizona, you grew up in the desert. Yeah, it's cool. different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you come down to Phoenix in August. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, 5 a.m. It'll be 110 degrees. <laughs> um, we do have uh, a couple vlogs coming from that trip, a podcast about that trip. Once uh, all that is ready to release, we'll let everybody know. There's some real good stories from uh, your time in Canada. Super yeah, cool. It was an awesome trip. Yep. So learned a lot. But we've now we've shot in sub-zero temperatures. We've shot in very hot. 110, 115 paving jobs, like just and, yeah, paving come right at your hot. face. Yeah, so I, I, I feel pretty good unless the conditions are really extreme on either end. We are ready to operate in just about any temperature from here on out. Yeah, there's an old picture of Angel and Chell. Um, I think that might have been Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, where they're they've got like just you know. A coat on, but they're so miserable. It was uh, and it's like Philly. Oh, it's Philly. That's yeah. right. Um, and just like the, the, in hindsight, 
that's definitely not even close to one of like the worst weather trips our people have been on. But at the time, like people, we weren't sending crews out in anything like that. Oh, they said it, that was properly cold though. And uh, yeah, the, the oil sands, they just work. And and most everybody's in a heated cab. But you have a lot of people out there working. Yeah, all not the, in the cab. All the mechanics, they're just out there and they're working in it. No problem. Probably miserable. Good for them. I mad respect to any of those folks that work mm-hmm. up there because it's, it's, it's gnarly. It's, I mean, even, even the operators, like they have to put up with it. They still have to work in those conditions, whether it's a heated cab or not. It's not, you're not in that cab all day. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was super adventure. fun. Mm-hmm. All right on. Thanks for the question. Next question. Ever considered touring manufacturing facilities in addition to the mines and earthwork sites you see? We have a few. I've gone to a bunch of plants in China. Mm-hmm. I've been to Cat's skid steer plant. I've been to Cat's dozer plant. I've been to Lee Bear's mining factory, Lee Bear's excavator factory, Lee Bear's material handler, and truck factory. Mm. So I've been to some manufacturing. I'm working on a Komatsu. Uh, plant right now actually cool yeah which is it's gonna be sweet uh, it's one i've wanted to visit for oh years nice now. yeah nice. so we visited a lot of plants they're cool the problem with media inside of a plant though is all of them are really weird about it sure and there's a lot of rules and there's a lot of quote-unquote trade secrets so it's not the most fun and there it's it takes a lot of time and energy to get plant tours in the it just in general just to get one yeah even. just to get one so the benefit of it and i'm not really a manufacturing guy i it's cool to see how the machines are assembled it really it's it's amazing yeah. i love going to these plants but i'm more of a i like to see them doing what they do and so for me the the energy it takes to get into these plants and for what I get out of it is not equivalent to spending a lot of my energy to get into Suncor, for example, yeah. or these cool uh, operations that are using the, the machines. So we've, we've done that. We'll continue to do that. I'm, I'm open to touring. If someone said, here, come to our factory today, you can take pictures. We just need to approve them. I'd be there yeah. tomorrow. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd, I'd be there. I'd, I'd be on my way right now. But I'm also not actively looking for manufacturing plants. That's fair. So they're cool, but in the States especially, it's, it's, it's mostly assembly. It's not actually yeah, fabrication. Not. Mm-hmm. Mostly assembly. So it's all these parts coming in from all over the place, and they're putting it all together, and it's really cool. But uh, like going to the, the Lee Bear plant in France, raw steel goes in one end, excavators come out the other. That's cool. <laughs> that was cool. And just seeing the, the German engineering, uh, especially the, the Germany factories, like, whoa, this is, this is something else. Yeah, it's a different thing. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. No, we're right on. About, I think um, when you're talking about these, those facilities being a little bit more just uh, they're putting it together. They're not really like creating the pieces in, in-house. To me, like how different is that necessarily than – um, you know, touring like uh, a facility where they're just doing repairs. You know, like they're, they're rebuilding a machine. Like, is that really that different? Oh, it, it, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
it's kind of the similar pro similar process. Yeah, right? they're still taking they're still have to put it back yeah, together after they take it apart. Exactly, but. they're they're starting with the frame and they're putting it all together, which is what an assembly line does. Mm -hmm. But um, the the thing with an assembly plant is it's on a line. It's not. Oh, so it's still on a line like that. Yeah, but they're it's, just it's on a line. But they have all the ingredients when they start. I suppose they don't have to create the ingredients. From yeah. Scratch. So you go down like the loader assembly line. It starts with the frame, and then cool. These components go in. Oh, here's the engines, and here's the the drive system, and oh, okay, the lift arms go on. It, yeah. Every station has a a next step. It's all really cool. Like yeah. But it's just not my. It's not what gets me going. Yeah, I think that's fine. Cool. Yeah. Right on. Next question. Are construction management degrees worth it? And are there more valuable certifications instead? If I were to go do college again, I would do construction management 10 out of 10 times. Mm. No question about it. Go get CM. Go work every summer at a construction company. Potentially work during the school year. You're set. You're set. If you work every year while you're in school for CM, you get out, you will have... You can go work at any company you want. Tons of experience for Dude, somebody your age. You can go anywhere you want at the end of that time. Mm. Their CM is in such great demand. So if you want to get into leadership, into management, yeah, if you want to go to college, great. Go to college, get a CM degree, work. Don't just get a CM degree. It's worthless on its own. You have to pair it with work. But it gets you in the door for those like initial internships and stuff, right? Kind of. Yeah, yeah. It, it sets you up with some cool opportunities. Mm -hmm. Like there are some pretty cool uh, internship programs out there that expose you to a lot that you wouldn't normally be exposed to if you just got a job at that company. So there, there are a lot of benefits to it. Mm. But I mean, with CM, if you're graduating without a job, you're an idiot. Like you are. You kind of wasted that time dude, a little bit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, like in dodgeball, you know, you can't hit water if you fell out of a boat. Like, <laughs> you have to be really, 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 really bad or dumb to not have a job out of school because everybody, everybody's hiring right now. It's and like it, shooting fish in a barrel. And when you come out of school with that kind of degree, is it typically like a project engineer kind of job? Yeah, project engineer, field engineer. You're making good money, 60, 70, 80 grand a year. Maybe more, maybe a little less. Running but around a lot. Within that range, you'll have a company truck, potentially, depends on the company. Yeah. You'll work a ton of hours, so you will be totally abused, most likely, unless you're at a smaller company, in which uh, you'll probably still be abused there. But it's great. It's what I did out of school. I'd still be doing it if I didn't do the whole build it thing. Sure. I didn't screw my life up. Start posting pictures on the internet. Yeah, how dare you do that to yourself? Ugh. Come on, man. But yeah, that's... If I went to school, CM, work, the world is your oyster afterwards. But if you can, CM, work in the field, work in the field. I got two formal internships, but I had two just summers in the field. So valuable. Yeah. So valuable. Even if it's just a little field experience, spend time actually doing the work. And even when I was with Skanska, then I wasn't afraid to help out. So I was doing all kinds of stuff with Skanska that I probably wasn't supposed to. And then when I was with Kiwit, I was stemming every hole because they didn't have another laborer. Uh, so I was the laborer. <laughs> and I, it, was, it was miserable, but so valuable at the same time. And I'm very thankful I had that opportunity rather than just sitting in an estimating office all summer. Because, okay, yeah, I would have learned something, but you can do that during the school year. Go out and work consistently. 
mm-hmm. 60, 80 hours a week over the summer because that is what separates you without a doubt. Nice. Right on. That's helpful. That's really interesting information. Thank you. Or if you, if you get a CM degree, go be an operator. It, it yeah, whatever you want to do. Yeah, it doesn't. There's this one track and that is, okay, you go, you're either going into vertical or you're going to horizontal you do this, or you can have some imagination. And as you experience the industry over the four years you're in school, sit there and say, this is what I want to do. I'm going to go in this direction. It doesn't matter what degree you have. It doesn't matter where you went to school. Like at that point, you can, you're, you can be smart enough to say, I want to do this. I want to be a production excavator operator. Check. Cool. You have a CM degree? Cool. doesn't matter. I want to go start a company. Great. doesn't matter. Yeah. I want to go be an engineer at a big company, uh, you know, big operation. Right. Have a little bit of creativity. Hmm. And don't just go, oh, the CM kids, most of the time they go to the GCs, give the civil folks a shot because I mean, don't tell the GC people this. GCs, if you're listening right now, shh. The civil companies are a lot more fun. (laughs) But all most of the CM schools are designed with GCs in mind because the GC is the one paying for the whole thing. Sure, that makes sense. So it's always the... You know, I went to the Delhi Web School of Construction. It's a home builder. So it's, it's either residential or vertical contractors because they have the money to spend on mm-hmm. getting these people in the door. They're, they have more infrastructure. Civil is behind in that regard. Yeah. And that's why they get left behind in the college world because it kind of is pay to play. Uh, but give the civil guys a shot because. Doing the real cool stuff. It's sick. Yeah. Right on. Uh. A similar question. And also oh, with that too, just with like with, with my keyword experience, for example, I was in Arizona. If I would have, if I would have applied traditional logic, I would have applied to Kiewit Southwest District, which would have kept me in the Southwest. But I was like, I don't want to be in the Southwest. Where are the cool districts? I looked at the tunneling district or the tunneling group within Kiewit. And I looked at Northwest District. I applied to both of them. And I think I applied to Southeast. You can apply to different areas. Like if you're like, I want to go work in the Northwest, go apply to Northwest District of whatever company there is. You have some freedom there. You don't just have to, whatever the path is, wherever you're at, that's what I do. You can be creative. Mm-hmm. Like get out of your comfort zone a little bit. Cool. There's another question here that is related, but is kind of from a different angle. Mm. Do you think everyone should start with a shovel in their hand before learning to operate? Yes. Cool. Yes. Yeah. If you skip, <laughs> if you skip that step, you're just screwing yourself. You're setting your whole career behind whole career. You have to, you have to learn that step and it won't be a ton of fun during, but patience with that process will take you a long way, long way. So the longer you can do that, the more you can learn there the better off you'll be long-term. Yeah. It's an investment in the future of, of wherever you want to go, no matter what you want to do, whether you want to operate or own a company. It doesn't, like, it doesn't matter. Everybody should start on a shovel. Everybody. And you have to do it long enough to get it. Like You don't have to do it for a decade, I don't think. Yeah. You can learn quickly. All these guys are like, oh, well, oh you, don't, you don't have you know, seven and a half years experience, so you can't go to this next level. Like, I don't believe in that. I've seen some, like, some of the best operators I've seen. They're, they're younger people. They just get it. Mm-hmm. And they're hungry, but they started on a shovel. The the problem our industry is going to start is starting is starting to face, but is only 
facing more and more as time goes on is what's happening is <clears throat> if I'm digging a hole with an excavator, traditionally, I would have a person uh, on the ground guiding me from a grade standpoint with a grade rod, you know, checking, beep, mm. beep, 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 beep. Okay, yeah, we need to, you know, that's good. This is good. And that's the best place to learn how to dig a hole in that machine. So when you get in that machine, you understand what that, that laborer needs, that, that person on the ground needs. You understand the mechanics of it. What's happening is because of the labor restrictions, are, we're, we're automating the process. We're removing the labor component to be more productive, which is great. We need to be more productive as an industry. So we're applying 3D grade control to that excavator. And now that excavator operator has that model in the cab, can put the bucket anywhere and see exactly where that bucket needs to be, exactly where grade needs to be. So now you don't need a person in that and you pair it with like a tilt rotator. Now you don't really need another person at all. Mm -hmm. You're eliminating that position. But what you're also eliminating is the only training at your company. And I get there's some specific union areas that are different. I understand. But it's still on the job training. Yeah. It's wherever a, you're it's at. It's a real entry level position. Yeah, so union, non-union, everybody has this problem. So you've just eliminated your only form of training, which is on the job. So now how do you train your operators? If you just eliminated the only position, entry level position, the feeding position mm -hmm. to being an operator, how do you do that now? I don't know. That's the question, I guess. But you have to fill that void. Mm -hmm. And most companies aren't, which is going to cause problems. So you either have to be deliberately inefficient <laughs> from a training standpoint, or you have to train those people in a different way. Yeah. Because now they're, you've eliminated that position. That's great. Now you're more efficient. But you just took away your best opportunity for people to learn how to operate. And that applies not just to operating, a lot of positions. So, you know, now we need to train more effectively. Oh, so why do you think BuildWit is creating a training platform? Hmm. Oh, I don't know. Because the whole industry is going to have this problem. Because the whole industry, does painting with a broad brush, yeah, has the problem and doesn't have any kind of training other than on the job. Show up, do the work. Get better at it. <laughs> if you're good at playing pipe, maybe you'll be in an excavator one day. That's it. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the folks, um, we, we've had a lot of folks on this podcast who have really a very similar story to that, where they came to the industry and were just on a shovel and then eventually had opportunities to not do that. Yeah, but what another key change within our industry now is that the past generation, generations, were more rural. They were more trades oriented, they're more rural. So they were either growing up on farms, growing up around work, growing up around parents that worked. They'd been around that their entire lives. Yeah. Now that's going away. It's gone away, arguably. So now we, again, have to solve this, this workforce challenge somehow. We have to draw people into our industry that have never been on a job site before. So before we used to have an entry level position for somebody that has held a shovel before, in other applications potentially, but they've held a shovel before. They know what they're doing. They have some background on even just how to work. But now we don't have that. Now we're putting people that are totally green to even working into our companies. 
And we've eliminated the entry-level positions or are on our way to eliminating the entry-level positions. So double problem. Yeah. And all of, we've, we've had this criticism of we'll put, you know, we, we, we'll put a video of how to use a broom, how to use a sledge, how to dig with a shovel properly on the training platform. And they'll ask, why, why the hell would you need, who the hell needs to know how to use a sledgehammer? The whole next generation needs to know how to use a sledgehammer because no one's taught them. They've never had to use one. They've lived in LA their whole lives. How often do you need to use a sledgehammer in LA? Yeah. Not often. Not often. Yeah. It's the, even just the percentage of people who grew up with some of those tools like in their home is drastically reduced. So it's not like they're not growing up on a farm anymore. They're not growing up having to do their own landscape. But you know what I mean? It's just like that gets lower and lower. We had no tools in our house. Something broke. If something needed to be done, we called somebody with tools. Mm-hmm. I wasn't around tools, man. <laughs> I'm here. Like, I'm doing my best, but I didn't have the background inf- information. Yeah. I didn't have the knowledge. So many people, I get asked about our training product too. It's like, well, you know, every company does things differently. So how do you, how do you scale? And I'm like, sure, but they need to teach the basics first. They're missing the basics. They're missing the basics. So that's where we're focused is how to properly take care of equipment. How to grease equipment, how to inspect equipment, how to do the basics on equipment, how to use a shovel, what are the basics of safety, the basics, the basics. And then not only that, but they need the basics on how to be financially savvy themselves, how to be healthy, how to be mentally sound, how to be strong, how to be good leaders. That applies to any company. And then once you have the basics figured out, you're able to educate people on the basics and make them better people overall, now you can get into more advanced stuff. We'll get there. And you can add your own videos to our platform. But we're after the basics right now because that's what the industry needs. And maybe you didn't need those basics because you grew up at the construction company your whole life. You absorbed the basics without even thinking about it. But next generation, if we're going to solve this, back to the basics because they're totally missing. Well said. I feel like that, to give like the the folks credit who did kind of grow up around the, that work, I feel like it would be difficult to understand why couldn't why couldn't other people just sort of figure that out when I hand it to them? Well, it's like maybe they could skiing, skiing for example. I grew up skiing. I learned to ski when I was three years old or whatever it was. And so you're like, it's not that hard. Well, no. If we went out to to the slope i know it's hard but if we went out to the slopes you'd never skied before you're like all right teach me how to ski i have no idea oh (laughs) because i don't i don't know how i was taught i i was taught so long ago you just can or or i wasn't even taught i just had to watch somebody else and figure it out so i can just do it i can just be like i don't know you just you just do it i don't even have the tools to teach because i was never taught or I was taught in a totally different way that doesn't apply to today. So I think that's what the struggle is, is it's not that sometimes, yeah, it's like, oh, it's not that hard. Just figure it out. But big picture, it's they weren't ever really taught this step by step. So they don't know how to teach it. And, and that seems to be a, a pretty common problem. I know we've had a lot of conversations with folks where it's just like, just because they know how to do it, doesn't mean they're qualified to teach, but so many people no. are called upon to do that because they know how to do a thing. 
um, yes. even though they're missing the the ability or the understanding of of a certain skill or a piece of equipment or whatever, they're they're missing the understanding of how to teach it to somebody else. Correct. Um, and so that's that's really where um, you know our work with the training product and just all the, the things we're building to go with that is trying to fill help fill that gap. And I think that's an important part: help fill that gap, not yeah. fill that gap. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Well, I thought that was plenty uh, questionable answers. How do you feel? I feel great. Yeah, I feel really good. Cool. All right. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed that. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Please share the podcast if you enjoyed it. Send in your questions. Dirttalk at buildwith.com. Check out the YouTube channel. Search Aaron Witt on YouTube to see our latest videos. We'll see you on the next one. Stay dirty, everybody. Stay dirty. Stay dirty. Very dirty. Very dirty.